you everyone for joining today. It is our first virtual coffee break for 2021. I can't believe we're already in 2021. Hopefully you've had a really great start to the new year. You're starting to think about what the next almost 11 months are gonna look like for you. So as we continue the tradition, we wanna bring you experts in the industry as well as our trusted advisors within Caldwell Banker Commercial to have you think about commercial real estate in a different way, think about conversations in a different way with your clients, or to even um, be creative in the conversations that you are having with your clients and to understand your clients' needs and how we can provide solutions to those needs, but to really understand what those needs are and being creative in those solutions and how we discuss that with our clients. So today I'm excited to have Albert Marks on the line with us as well as Rick Lockheed. So Albert is part of a construction company that um, specializes in cannabis facilities. And Rick um, is a Caldwell Banker commercial realty in, um, professional down in Florida who does have experience in the cannabis industry. Albert, Rick and I were able to catch up. I think it's a fascinating subject. I've been to crew conventions, which is commercial real estate for women that have touched upon cannabis. It is a growing um, popular subject within our states as they start to legalize the use, um, recreational use of cannabis. So thank you, Albert, for joining us today. And Dan, if you, um, before Albert begins, if there's anything that you want to say to that, um, you could take it all away. Yeah, thank you, Christina, very much. Welcome, Albert and Rick. Thanks uh, very much for joining us. Look forward to the conversation. Uh, as Christina touched on, it is uh, the cannabis industry is touching commercial real estate in a variety of areas. Uh, beginning, uh, <clears throat> I will tell you this, I learned, um, I don't know, it was probably a year ago, that's one of the popular land uses in Florida for where orange groves no longer are, are feasible is for the hemp industry, not exactly related, but it's, you know, in a sense, it's a cousin. Uh, it's another crop that is uh, very um, suitable for Florida climate and so forth. Um, but as Christina said, the, you know, with the last uh, round of elections, I don't know how many states liberalized, legalized uh, dispensaries, medical use, recreational use, and there's a lot of nuance to it. That's what I've learned. And I think that's one of the important topics is people ask questions, you know, should I advise my owner to lease to a dispensary? What is that, you know, can they do that? Is there some special consideration? So Albert, we'll turn it over to you and Rick will certainly chime in with his experience with uh, Vitacan, one of the dispensaries. I don't know if it's just in Florida or the Southeast, um, but we look forward to your, your wisdom on the topic and we'll, uh, we'll take notes and we'll ask questions, you know, as we move along. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Albert Marks. I am the business development manager of Cannabis Facility Construction, one of the three verticals of Mosaic Construction, a client-focused, uh, re client relationship-based design-build contracting firm out of the Chicagoland area. Um, I'm thrilled to be here today with you. I, I want to thank um, you all for being here. Thank you in advance for your questions. I want to thank uh, Dan and Christina and Rick for uh, the opportunity and you know, it's really an incredible topic to talk about. Um, cannabis is, as you can see, uh, it's, a, it's a green rush. It is coming on quick and it's a really amazing topic to talk about it because it changes not only year by year with the uh, legalization of various states, but really day by day, um, things are changing. It is a, as a former science teacher and it is an evolving topic. And it also varies because uh, it varies state by state. So there's a lot of great conversations to be had, uh, both within your firm and with your clients, as cannabis becomes uh, really a dominant force uh, in, uh, in, in the country. 
a little bit about uh, our firm. Um, we are design build contractors that specialize in the renovation remodel. Uh, I like to say like, again, evolving of property of space uh, in single family, multifamily, uh, um, commercial, office, retail, in both the interior and exterior. And then just over six years ago, one of our retail clients came to us and said, you know, we, we're embarking on a new venture. We just got three medicinal licenses in the Chicagoland area. Um, would you come on this journey with us? And being opportunity driven, we said, yes. And it's, it's interesting to look back on those three dispensaries, how much we've learned in the last six years, uh, because how far the industry has come in six years. Um, so we built those out and then the client said, hey, we just acquired a old roller skate manufacturing facility in Southern Illinois. Will you come help us build out a 35,000 square foot cultivation facility and processing? Again, opportunity driven and relationship based. We said yes. Six years later, we are industry leading in the cannabis game. We have done over 35 projects in 10 states, um, cultivation, dispensary, and processing. Um, so it's a really great time to be in the in the space, but it's all, you know, there's a lot of nuances as Dan said, because you know, the elephant in the room is that it's not federally illegal. So you can't take product across state. A lot of the, you'll hear the term vertically, vertically integrated where companies come in, they have to grow, pr process and sell their own product. So there's a lot of nuance because it is state by state and then it becomes municipality and municipality. So there's a lot of different conversations to be had. But it is a legitimate business. Um, as we stand today in 2021, um, 35 states, including Washington, D.C., have legalized medicinal cannabis, which means if you suffer from an ailment, which is um, established by the state, you can go to your doctor and they can prescribe you the ability to go to a medicinal dispensary and get cannabis. You go, you meet with, they're called bud tenders. That's actually what they're called. Um, and they will tell you what strain of cannabis might be best for your ailment, whether it be Crohn's disease, arthritis, to subside the side effects of chemotherapy. Um, and so 35 states have passed that and growing. Um, what's really interesting is if you look at this map is three, even four years ago, states that were really, you know, you thought would never be, uh, would legalize cannabis are coming online because the states recognize there's money to be made. Um, so states like Mississippi, Louisiana, North Dakota are really starting to come online as um, being in the forefront of leaders in the industry. Now, 15 states, including DC, have legalized recreational cannabis, which means if you are 21, you can go into a dispensary uh, and purchase a certain amount of cannabis um, as, as you can with alcohol with liquor stores. Um, now, hemp is a really great conversation Dan brought up. Hemp is now legalized in all 50 states according to the Farm Act of 2018, which means CBD oils, which is what hemp, which comes from hemp, uh, is legal in 47 states. So, and you can see it, at, you'll see it at your local drugstore, grocery store, CBD is really everywhere. Um, it's really incredible product as it, you know, you can give it to your pet. People have given it to their children. It's, it doesn't affect the psycho, the psycho uh, therapy in terms of like the, the brain it affects the nervous system, kind of gives a, re a relaxing uh, feeling. What we're talking about, what we've built out are those that deal in marijuana, which is the THC based, 25% um, THC based uh, product, which is, gives you the psychoactive effects uh, that you think of, um, you know, in, from, from various 
states, you know, you can, and they can be used in different, different methods, whether it be um, edibles, you can smoke it as you, as you may have heard, as you're used to, and you probably know, um, you know, creams, patches, there's many different ways to use it, but it is a legitimate business. Um, and so much of the fact that as we currently stand in 2021, it is a $28 billion industry legally. And in the next four years, we're going to see it jump to $41.5 billion legally. Um, what's really amazing about this um, slide, and if you look at it, is the legal share, the legal market share is going to shift in the next five years. Um, currently, if I told you cannabis, you think about Colorado and California, which is where the, you know, the, the big hitters are. But by 2025, we should see a shift in the market share where states like Illinois, uh, Florida, as Rick will talk about, Michigan, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, New Jersey are really going to come, come into their own. And there are a couple states that are not mentioned that have not gone recre recreational yet, such as New York and Connecticut, that are going to come online. What's really amazing about cannabis is, and we talked about the nuances, is states affect other states. So one state might look at a rec state and say, well, I'm not going to lose we're not going to lose our tax money to them. Uh, we know that um, Governor Cuomo of New York has said publicly and privately, uh, we lost our sports betting money to New Jersey. We're not going to lose our cannabis money. Uh, I live in Wisconsin. Um, I can tell you that once Illinois gets things figured out, the state of Wisconsin is not going to let them lose all that cannabis money. So it, the, a lot of these states that would say never going to happen, the money is too good uh, to let it pass by. Um, now, how does this impact commercial real estate? I'm not a re commercial real estate expert, but I did pull some facts, hopefully that are interesting to you. Um, so uh, according to studies in the last few years, properties that are within a half mile radius of a cannabis dispensary, which is a storefront where you can buy cannabis, those property values have increased on average of 7.7%. Um, we also know that when states come online, the demand for certain types of properties goes up. And I'm going to give um, two different figures for three different kind of breakdown um, categories. You'll notice the first number when medicinal comes online, it's a higher demand because it's the first rush to get in. And then the recreational demand, it's kind of a more, it's already been saturated to a little bit in the state by those who have medicinal properties. So for example, um, warehouse demand increases by 34% in states when medicinal, when medicinal cannabis is legalized. And then there's a 27% increase in demand in warehouse when recreational is in, is in illegalized for those who want to cultivate and grow cannabis um, and process, which means taking it from the plant and when they dry it to the product itself that will then go to the dispensary, which then goes to storefront demand has increased by 31% in state when medicinal programs come online and then an increase in 17% when the rec program comes online. And then land demand has increased by 18% in states where medicinal comes online and 14% increase in land demand when recreational comes online. Now, there's a huge stigma that we need to talk about and the elephant in the room is it's not fully legal, like I said, which means we know that 89% of property owners will not lease to, uh, will not, are not leasing to can cannabis companies. And those that are have kind of jumped on the bandwagon and said, yeah, this is okay, and have not added addendums. But what are the reasons that people are not leasing to cannabis facilities? Well, the number one reason say is smell. And I can tell you if you've, uh, if you've, if you've been to a, if you've partaken in cannabis, 
if you've gone to a Dave Matthews concert, there is that smell that everybody recognizes. And if you had the ability to go to a cultivation facility, uh, like I have, if you think in the product form, the, the smell is pungent, I can tell you in the raw form, it's even more so. So the smell, now this can be easily taken care of if you have a good contractor, it's a little nod to me. Uh, if you have a good odor mitigating program in space, uh, your HVAC system is working correctly, smell should not be that big of an issue, especially in the retail space. Now, theft on cash on property. This is a, this is a concern. Because it is not federally legal, there is risk involved to your clients. It is a cash-only business. Um, there is, it's, you cannot use um, credit cards at this point because they are federally regulated in, uh, in, uh, industries. You also, a lot of times, comp companies that use, uh, cannot use FDIC-regulated banks. They have to use local credit unions or some local banks in areas where who will do cannabis business, but they're very few and far between. You cannot share in the profits of the cannabis company. A lot of times rent uh, and, you know, rent has to come from not the cannabis company directly, but has to come from holding companies, other companies that oversee it, um, you know, and so it, it's not, a, it, there's a lot of risk involved. There's insurance risk involved. There's not a lot of insurance companies that will take on cannabis companies. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so therefore we know rents could be, uh, could be 20 to 40% more per square foot in the marijuana business. And that's on the low end. So my role as the design build contractor is to talk about the room, the rooms where it happened. In cannabis, you deal with two different types of spaces. The first is the retail environment. And the second is the industrial, the retail environment, the dispensary, the point where it is uh, client facing. The best thing to do is to figure out what with your client, what kind of environment they're looking for, for their client. Do they want it to be like an Apple store, like a Starbucks, where they all look the same? It's a very clear point of sale. You use iPads, you may use an app, and it's in and out, that's it. Or do you want it to be like a doctor's office where they come in for a consultation and they talk to a bud tender and then they go through the process and they're able to leave safely and it's a welcoming space and it's a welcoming, um, it's a, you know, it's a welcoming environment. Or third, is it like our client feels a community space where people can come and gather and talk and learn. They have classrooms, aromatherapy rooms, and really use this opportunity where they, to you know, engage with others who partake in cannabis. At the, at, the, at the very top, above it all, it needs to be a safe, secure space. Security is gonna be the number one thing that the state will look for when it comes to licensing. The security, because they have a vested interest in your, in your profit, because it's, it's of the tax money. So, you know, making sure that you have the right vault, making sure that you have the right uh, camera system, making sure that you have a, and the, a major thing that people don't think about is how is the Brinks truck, the security truck that transports both your product and your, and your money going to get to your space safely that the state is going to approve? Um, I'll get to in, industrial in a second, but you know, a lot of times we, in, we deal with people in, in Chicago, they say, oh, the guy will just park out in the, in the alleyway. Well, I'm sure you've all seen enough uh, heist movies where you know, they just take the Brinks truck and go. That's literally what would happen. And the state is well aware of this because the people at the state have also watched those great heist movies and you know, they don't want an Ocean's Eleven uh, scenario on their hands. So make sure that while you're designing for the customer, you are compliant with regulations like security. Um, on the other side, the industrial side where you grow and you process, 
it's really a conversation that you want to have with the person who's in charge of the grow because they're going to create the product. Uh, we liken in our company, the grower to like a chef. And if you ask me to build a, a, a kitchen for Bobby Flay, I'm not going to do it without asking Bobby Flay what he wants. So you need to be talking to people who are going to handle the product, who are going to process the product. And you need to make sure you know, that it is also extremely safe. The new standard across the board in terms of the industrial spaces is having the truck be able to pull into the building through a garage door so it can be loaded and unloaded without having to be exposed to, to exterior elements. Um, the other thing you're going to want from an industrial standpoint is control. You are dealing with a product that is literally green gold, but it cannot speak or advocate for itself. And it is very, very, very temperamental and it is and very, um, and it needs to have all the elements perfectly in place for it to produce the best product possible. It's very sensitive. So you wanna make sure you have the right climate controls. You have the right lighting controls because the plant differs as it grows, what it needs in terms of lighting. So the, the seedling needs 24 hours of light. The bud needs 12 and 12, I mean, 18 and six, I apologize. And the plant itself needs 12 and 12. And the lights, if you have a good in, industrial facility, they will alternate and they will adjust automatically as it goes on. And this product cannot speak for itself. So you wanna make sure that it is controlled 24 hours a day. And if something goes wrong, that there's automatic notice so that you're not losing product because no industry like cannabis where time is money. The final thing I wanna to touch on is as you get into this industry, tell your clients that they should be looking for two things when they look for people to help them get into the business. First of all, someone with experience. We've been in this industry five years in the cannabis industry, and that makes us industry experts, I believe, because it is such a young industry. You don't want to hear, let's learn this together from your contractor. You want someone who has experience. You want someone who knows what they're doing because there are so many nuances. There are so many little things that could go wrong. And as I said, time is money, and you don't want your client behind the eight ball and losing their, their, their ability to harvest, to create product, and to sell. And the second thing you want, you want to tell your client is you need someone who's going to be there as their partner. Cannabis is a passion project for almost everyone that gets involved because it is such a new industry. No one is like, you know, I got into banking because my dad got into banking. It's a passion project. It's a passion project for those who grow it. They are coming from the agricultural side where they are, their plant is part of their family because they're with it all the time, 24 hours a day, and they care for it. You want someone who's going to treat them as their partner who sits on the same side of the table as them and wants the best thing for them that they're gonna get out of their, uh, out of their facility. I wanna end really quickly about a little bit about us and then I'll turn it over to Rick to talk about his experience. We've built over 35 projects, 10 states, dispensaries, cultivation, processing, uh, dispensaries ranging from 3,000 to 10,000 square feet, cultivation ranging from 30 to 90,000 square feet, processing facilities around 15,000 square feet. Uh, like I said, Cannabis facility construction uh, is one vertical of mosaic construction, uh, design build firm doing, doing work in um, retail, multifamily, commercial office, exterior work. Because of cannabis, we've been able to go nationally. So I'd love the opportunity to talk to everyone on here one-on-one, -on -one, answer any questions you may have, and hopefully be able to be a resource for you uh, in both cannabis and in all, all facets of design build. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Uh, and I'll put, a, uh, I'll put a link to uh, 
our brochures and to some, uh, some other uh, articles we've done in podcasts, um, but thank you. No, thank you very much, Albert. Um, and uh, I can actually speak from the point of representing Vitacan, one of the you know medical marijuana tenants here in Florida, which we've opened uh, or we've done 26 leases for throughout the state and actually as a landlord because I own a building that we leased to another um, dispensary called Move slash Altmed, uh, which was recently purchased by Verano Holdings, which is out of Chicago where Albert is. And Chicago is actually becoming kind of the hub for medical marijuana or any marijuana. Um, just to answer some of the questions um, related to, you know, rent and how landlords are going to be able to deposit rent and that. Early on, it was really tough to, to find banks that would allow it. Nowadays, it's actually fairly easy. Um, most, of, like one of the comments said, most of your state chartered banks and credit unions will allow, um, but some of the big guys will allow it too. If you're, uh, it's a little harder for the cannabis companies in setting up their accounts, but as far as accepting checks from them, it's not that big of a deal anymore. Um, you just have to be upfront with the, the banks from the beginning. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, the, I'd say the biggest thing, problem I found, um, going back to would want and wouldn't want to, to lease to marijuana as a tenant, I'd say the main thing is the smell. Um, and frankly, here in Florida, there's very little issue with the smell because everything's pre-sealed. Um, it, it can't be really even opened on the property for the most part. Um, it cannot be smoked on the property. Um, so there's very little issue with any kind of smell. Um, security is an issue, but the state has set up uh, requirements that they all have to follow. So it hasn't been that big of a deal. They don't have a vault full of cash sitting on site. They're only allowed to keep a certain amount of money in the dispensary at any one time. Um, and uh, I'd say the biggest, biggest three hurdles are the local authority, making sure that the property is allowed to have medical marijuana, marijuana on there. Because if anybody's ever tried to lease to a liquor store, it's even harder than that. Um, they're very strict about where these are allowed. So, but once you find a place that zoning allows, then it's really where will the land allow and will the, sorry. <laughs> Will the landlord allow and will the other tenants um, in any tenant restrictions allow for the use? And kind of a third L is the lender. Um, I just said banks are okay taking the money, but as far as uh, lending on a property as medical marijuana as a tenant, um, you'll run into issues there. So making sure that the current lender or future lender is okay with that as a use. Um, but it's gotten easier and easier over the last three years to, to find spaces to lease. And uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions about where to, if they have a space available, I'm happy to help. Um, as far as design trends, I think 
some of the major uh, manufacturers that I've talked to have, they really want to make it comfortable for every, everybody. So they want it, uh, you know, they want it like the Apple store. They want it so you're on a marketing side um, or demographic side. They want that Chardonnay mom or dad to be able to go in there in the middle of the afternoon. They can use their mar marijuana. They know exactly how it's going to affect them, just like if they had one glass of Chardonnay. And then they can go pick their kids up when they get out of school. Um, and in order to attract that demographic, you really have to have a nice, clean, safe, and comfortable environment. So you won't find a, these on the back streets very much. They, they kind of need to be out front and center and um, right at Main and Main. Um, zoning, yeah, zoning is a tough one. I'm trying to look at some of the other comments. Rick, I have a quick comment for, or question for you, or and Albert, too, if just from experience. But is are there any adjacencies that are becoming known and popular? You know, like in a retail center, you you know you might find you know the Starbucks is always near. I don't know, it used to be Barnes and Noble or something. Well, before it was in Starbucks. But are there any any retailers that like to to locate near a dispensary versus not? That's kind of one. That's one question. Uh, my other question would be: Are there is there a preference to type of of retail center, in other words, would they do they prefer freestanding or strip centers, or um, you know, do they need lots of parking? Are there any things like that that are that you've noticed um, for particularly for dispensaries? And I'll jump on that first. At least here in Florida, um, actually, the there's two things about what type of real estate they like. Um, all the investors want single tenant net lease standalone buildings because they're easier to sell on the secondary market. Um, but the tenants, just like a lot of retail tenants want strong, visible, and they'd love to be in a strip center where they can benefit from some of the other traffic. So it's a mixture of both. Um, and as far as tenant, like co-tenancy, um, I know a lot of the marijuana doctors, especially here in Florida, you need a, you know, a medical marijuana recommendation from a doctor. Um, there's a bunch of companies out there that do it, so they like to be next to it. But I haven't seen anybody else following them around. How about you, Albert? Uh, a lot of times, what we're finding is um, finding spaces that you know, the, all the projects we've worked on have been taking former spaces and creating them into what are now cannabis. Um, we've dealt in both freestanding buildings and in strip malls. We've dealt in, you know, creating in old time America Main Street, turning an old thrift store. Um, it really, a lot of what we're finding is it has to deal with what the state allows. Um, you know, Michigan, for example, has requirements that comes to bathrooms and they had to have a specific space that fit into that. Arizona, for example, allows drive-through. So a lot of times old fast food restaurants um, fit into that. You know, um, something that we found, you know, is, is if it fits what the state is looking for, um, you know, in the nuances and it fits and there's the, you know, what you're looking for from your space, you know, our clients have really kind of taken in what they, what is available. And right now when it comes to rec, uh, where two major streets converge are really, really the biggest thing. And right off the highway is uh, really big for us because they love to put, you know, we, if you come to Illinois, there's a bunch of billboards now. It's like, you know, as I come down south 
uh, from Wisconsin, you'll see first exit, the first, before you get in Illinois, your first dispensary is the next exit for one of the, for rise, yeah. rise dispensaries. So that's what we're finding is what the state needs and what the, what the client is trying to get, get the most out of. I was going to ask you, you kind of answered it already, but is freestanding becoming, you know, is that a preferred because you don't have, you know, freestanding, you know, A, the COVID era, you know, people don't want to be too close to each other. So there's that issue, yeah. but it just seems like it solves some of the issues of adjacent tenancy and things like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think from a security standpoint, it solves a major issue because you have full control of 360 around and you also have full control of what the parking lot situation looks like. Um, you know, I think, you know, we're always at the forefront of security, like I said. So, you know, having ability to maybe have someone back into, you know, you could have a fenced off space. Um, but the recent ones we've done have been freestanding and it's been preferred just for a parking lot standpoint. So you can have the most parking lot activity and from a security standpoint um, for what is required. Uh, hey, uh, Rick, this is Jeffrey Carmen Charlotte, the uh, Chardonnay mom and dad that you just described. What eight? What what is their range of ages? I mean, they're young mom and dad with young kids driving them crazy. Are they older kids? I mean, older parents. What, what's what's that look like? Well, there's multiple demographics that that go after. But as far as um, comfort and retail environment, they're going after that that hip young Chardonnay mom that's probably in there you know, late twenties to, you know, early forties, um, that they would feel comfortable. Um, in our, all, all young women have been basically taught that they're at danger everywhere. So if you can get that girl to come in there on her own, you can basically attract anybody. And have you heard much about North Carolina? Any chatter uh, about North Carolina facilities? I haven't. So a lot of times um, when it comes to uh, legalization, the first thing we'll look for in a state is decriminalization. That normally is almost automatically followed by medicinal. So um, the first thing we do in terms of North Carolina is you can, I mean, there's thousands of websites where you can look up what is the most recent in terms of North Carolina See how they feel about decriminalization. And once decriminalization is kind of on track, medicinal is soon to follow. And then once medicinal follows, recreational is not, is not far behind because the money is so good. Okay, thank you, Albert. Yeah, sure. We talked about zoning, um, you know, zoning being a bit of an issue. Another uh, question that popped up in here kind of relation to that is, have you seen pushback from residents when planning new projects? Is there, you know, a community-wide angst over it? You know, and luckily, at least here in Florida, and I think in most states, um, you clear that hurdle early on. And the, you know, the community pushback comes when they're trying to change the local land development codes or the local laws. Um, there are some, the tough part about Florida and some other states is every jurisdiction is different. So from Escambia County all the way to Broward County, every single county and city has their own codes and, and regulations, which legally they're all supposed to be for the state, but try to fight that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, I think uh, 
Although places like Fort Lauderdale, um, they have a public meeting requirement. So yeah, you're going to face, you know, the local uh, homeowners associations to, to go up against. But uh, luckily I haven't heard of anything being stopped because of that they might. No, it's what we found is by the time you've broken ground on a project, the area you're in is full is all in. It's there's so much you, I mean, it, if you have a client who's really thinking about getting into cannabis, a recommendation I would have is to get to know the local, um, uh, you know, community, the aldermen's, the local mayor, they need to be on, you know, they should be on first name basis, good terms with them because you know what you're bringing in. But the communities are normally pretty aware once something comes in. Something we found in Illinois though, is the community was going to be, was unaware of how big of an impact it was going to be. And communities have become so saturated in Illinois that some have now, uh, with going from medicinal to recreational, are not allowing recreational to come in. So that's something to keep, keep an eye on is to make sure that the impact, it's not too much of an impact on a uh, community, but when it comes to the, the beginning, uh, communities should be fully involved and all parties should be ready to go. We had a couple of questions about financing, um, you know, a facility and we know at the federal level, federally funded banks, it's difficult to do those type of transactions. So have you seen credit unions or local banks providing funding or is it really about a cash deal? Well, on my side, it's uh, some of them are cash. Those are obviously the easiest, um, but it depends. I've seen Wells Fargo, I've seen um, Regions, I've seen some of the big guys allow medical marijuana in say a shopping center. Um, but in those cases, it was a very small percentage of the overall shopping center. Um, getting financing on a standalone building, uh, you're gonna have to find your medical marijuana specialized lenders, either private equity or you know, some of the local credit unions or state banks will do it. Great. We had a question in here. We know that um, you need a specialized HVAC, lighting, security requirements. Do you tend to see cost increases with the um, construction tenant improvements? Only on the um, industrial side. I think industrial, it requires a lot more power per square foot because of the lighting than most of your industrial spaces are set up for. As far as HVAC and lighting and security, I haven't seen any increases on the retail um, dispensary end. It's, I mean, we've seen, I mean, yes, what Rick is saying is, I mean, industrial is gonna be far, far more, you know, advanced in terms of what you need, in terms of the systems involved. Um, it, a lot of times it's, uh, it's what the client wants in terms of how, how upgraded of a system they want in terms of, you know, do they want the bare minimum of what the state wants? Or are they looking to go the next level and provide the best product, the best community, the best space possible? So while you don't have to see, you, there, there are instances where you will see increase in, in terms of construction, yeah. And then what type of impact has COVID had on this industry? Have you seen an increase, a decrease, or is it kind of status quo as some other specialties in commercial real estate? Well, I mean, I can speak for, there's, so there's, there's, two pro, there's two phases of this whole thing. The first phase is 
the legalization and getting the licensing, you know, we are part of the application process that has been significantly uh, impacted by COVID as states are focused more on COVID response. So for example, Illinois, their program was supposed to be up and going a year ago and everything's been side everything's been sidelined. Uh, we're still waiting for the first round of two to come out this year. Uh, so, you know, that has been impacted. On the construction side, we have not. It's, we've actually seen it pretty, pretty steady, if not more, because, you know, as an essential business, we've been able to, uh, you know, weather the, the whitewater rapids of COVID and keep it going. And, you know, as long as our client, you know, upholds the same standards that we have in terms for our trades and our industry partners, it hasn't slowed us down in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. If anything, some permitting was faster. We like to use it as a, an excuse to get some, you know, longer <laughs> free rent periods and leases. But if, in fact, it's been quicker because there's less projects going through the building departments in in a lot of areas. Um, and then, if I, yeah, go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that sales wise. I think they saw a spike when people thought they were going to close and then it leveled back out and they're just continue to rise. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I mean, Illinois did a billion dollars in the first year and there was only 50 dispensaries open as opposed, there were supposed to be 140. Um, but something that you talked about also, you know, I'll talk about the, the, the licensing. A problem that happened here is that because licensing took longer, people were holding on to real estate and couldn't do anything with it, which was been a humongous problem, especially in, in Illinois, for example, where people went ahead and acquired real estate for what they thought they were going to get a license in 2020 and now are stuck with the property or are now paying, you know, the, the moratorium is worn off. So it, it has been a, a huge problem with that. Side. There was a question that came up about um, policies um, against corporate policies. If you have any questions about policies, especially on the call bank or commercial realty side, check with your manager and check with your leader in that office and they'll be able to better direct you um, on any policy policy issues that you may have. So with that, I want to sincerely thank Albert and Rick for joining us today. Um, as I mentioned at the start, we love to use these sessions as a way for us to think about our business in a different way, share different um, experiences that we see within the industry. So thank you for sharing that with us. This session was recorded. It will be available between 24 and 48 hours of this session in Commercial University. And we are excited to have um, Jeffrey, who's on the line today, join us next week to talk about the asset workout. Um, and Jeffrey will share his experience within that. So look on Commercial University on our calendar for those opportunities, as well as our opportunities for a virtual coffee break in February. Dan, any closing words before we leave? I want to thank uh, Albert and, and Ira, the, the owner and principal of uh, Mosaic Construction. Thank you for participating today. And, and Rick, thank you for being our second time guest, different topic, but second time guest on the virtual coffee breaks. Uh, we, we, as Christina said, we want these to be fun, lively topics that are just a little bit, you know, I won't say off the beaten path, but just things that maybe aren't covered on other conference calls and things. So we welcome your participation as well as your ideas for future breaks. Um, otherwise, thanks for joining and have a uh, wonderful weekend.